185milesouth.com. Smash that Patreon button. One hundred and eighty five miles south, a hardcore punk rock podcast. What's up, everyone? This week on the pod, we are talking hardcore, helping out. You know him, you love him. It is the best dressed man on the pod. It is Daniel Sant. What's up, Dan? Hats off to the chuckers and the haters. You can go do your own thing. Also up and out, it is Ben Merlis, a.k.a. Ben Edge, a.k.a. Bedge. What's up, Ben? Yes, the rhythm, the rebel, without a pause. See, I had to come up with some rap shit, too. <laughs> the first one was in control, dude. Now, I got flow, but I'm not a rapper. <laughs> I didn't even sing You're that fucking MC. shit. I just wrote it. <laughs> What's up? Also up and out, it is the mighty, mighty Posse Chris. What's up, Chris? Hi. Hello. <laughs> All right. We're going to kick this one off with a quick discussion based on a question we got. Uh, we did not field it in the last uh, round of questions because I wanted this. I wanted Chris involved. So uh, this came from a gentleman named Michael Paris, and uh, he was asking aging collectors. So thank you for uh, dating us here, dude, <laughs> saying we're old as shit, you know. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, aging collectors, how do you deal with buying slash wanting to buy more crap? when you don't really need it or have space for it, what's the best way to parse down a record collection? And then he asked a third question as well. Like how best do we support an artist? If you don't want to feel burdened by owning anything, let's shoot these first two questions off to Dan. Um, Dan, how do you deal with like buying and wanting stuff when you don't necessarily have space for it? And how do you deal with like the space? Like when you sell off a record or give it away or what? Okay, so I I am probably the worst person to ask this of how to actually deal with it because I would like the answer myself because I live in a one – it's a pretty spacious one-bedroom in Oakland, um, but I am literally the old man who lived in a record and a shoe. Like I have a billion shoes and a billion records. This is how many records I have. Um, that I really should pass down is I have an Ikea two by four of records in the kitchen. <laughs> That's how much room I've run out of. I have one of those in the kitchen. I have a five, a five by five and two, two by fours in my bedroom. I have a, um, another one in the hallway that is, it's not a two by four, uh, expedite but it's it houses about the same amount of records but it also has seven inch slots as well and and then i have a something in the living room that does the exact same thing so i'm i'm out of control and i have all my um like favorite seven inches all in like lock boxes too like all the you know like the carry case ones but like really really massive ones and so I have those in one of the closets. So it's it's out of control. And so I wish uh, Mr. Paris, I knew how to 
advise you here, but when you find out, let me know because I'm in trouble. Dan, you also have storage too, right? Because we did the Mike Cheese episode and I was like, all right, everyone take pictures with your Rorschach LPs. And you're like, oh, I think mine's in storage. It's like, what the fuck, dude? Because that's actually like an LP you enjoy. And so you have LPs tucked away elsewhere. Well, that was at the very start of me, like actually collecting hardcore. I had a, a big batch that I'd left in a shed at my dad's. And when my dad had that heart attack slash like at the very beginning of COVID of everything. So everything got moved into a storage. And so I've got like the early points of my record collecting in a storage in San Diego as well. Dan Scott selection is in uh, San Diego. So what's up people don't uh, steal <laughs> probably, from there probably is a as few it things be. in there that, that <laughs> don't, steal don't, his, don't steal his scab of the hut seven inch. Um, <laughs> yeah, dude, I don't know. I, I struggle with this all the time. That's why, uh, Michael, this is a great question because, yeah, in my living room, I have I have a big four by four, which has all my like rock, I guess my guitar based stuff. And then I have two of the two by twos also in the living room, which is like my international stuff and my hip hop stuff, and my reggae stuff. And then I have like a, a two by two in my bedroom, too, which is like the unload this shit, you know, but like. <laughs> the second part of your question is hard as well, because like knowing when to sell is so hard because, you know, selling on discogs, if you're not like a full-time like record flipper is a serious pain in the ass, you know, like you get an order and then it's like, ah, I got to figure out how to go to the post office. Either you're like, you know, we're already talking about being like low on space. Like you want to save a bunch of fucking like record protection to mail too, you know, like, Cause I have some like above like my cabinets in my kitchen and I look like I'm a straight up bum. You know what I mean? Like, why is that guy like storing a bunch of cardboard and like the people that go and like, they do the laundry like down across the pool for in my complex. Like they probably look up and they're like, why is that guy storing a bunch of cardboard? Like what a fucking freak, you know, a ton of it on top of my fridge. Yeah. Right. Like we look like terrible people, dude. And we are, you know, (laughs) we're like, we're people that like live alone in our forties, you know, with our animals. So like, I guess like everything they think is true. You know, yeah, but the, the one thing I will say though, is yes, I fully feel you on like, there's a part of you that hurts when, you know, you're not letting something go what for what a discard price is. But the way that I think about it now, especially because it's so out of control, when I do pull things together to pass down, which is once in a while, it's very rare, but because just because of the effort involved. But when I do go through and I do make some room and I pass things down, I am very happy to take it to a record store to get less than top dollar for it, you know, because, you know, they they need to make money on it. But I'm very happy for the machine to keep rolling. That new, like, used pickups are going into some of these local record stores so someone else can get psyched on it and then it just you know it's like paying it forward like you put that uh coin in the wishing well because then you hopes maybe something on wishing well will show up in those used bins later on yeah let's parse this down for the layman's too like so what we're talking about is let's say that you have a record that's worth twenty dollars if i sell it on discogs i can get twenty dollars for it but i might wait a month 
three months, a year. You know, you're parking them there waiting to get your 20 bucks. If you take it to a record store, you're going to get eight to 10 bucks for it because they got to mark it up like whatever amount so they can sell it for 20 because that's what that's what it should cost. Right. So that's that's what we're talking about. And Dan, I I agree with like you saying like paying it forward. Like that's a great way to put it because I kind of do the same thing. Like, you know, once every six months or a year, I'll put a bunch of records together. I'll take them either reanimated in uh, San Diego or to standards up in Vista, which is North County, San Diego. And it kind of gives me like my budget for like the next month. So, you know, like, let me go get rid of these records I don't want so I can buy new shit, you know, and my budget is like a couple hundred bucks, you know? So yeah, that is a way to pay it forward. Cause like I get rid of old stuff. I don't want that much and I get new shit. So what's up, Chris, do you deal with this at all? Or do you have a nicer spread up in Washington? Nah, I, I have no wisdom to share here. Just stuff to learn. Uh, I don't have as many records as, as probably anyone on this podcast. Uh, but I kind of, <laughs> I also have this problem where I flip back and forth between, you know, spurts of, of collecting records and spurts of collecting comic books, um, which <laughs> those are a different story. I think for me, the, the record collection, the, the issue that I'm trying to figure out always is like, how do I keep my dog from eating these records? <laughs> uh, she's been good about it recently, but like I've come home a couple times and, and found some, some chewed up records, including oh. one of my own test presses, which was a big bummer. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> so hey, I always go to heaven, dude. Yeah, exactly. Test presses taste better. Uh, and, and now it makes it, yeah, and it makes it even more rare. You know, it's one of one Zoe chewed. <laughs> That's true. Like, the, <laughs> there's ones that literally have like, like a U-shaped dog mark, like bite mark ripped out of it, and it's just kind of hilarious. But <laughs> I do the uh, the record facing out on all my shit. Like, I learned that when uh, we went to Sweden, and uh, our host Frederick did that, and I was like, oh, that's brilliant. Because if I if you have all the records and you see like the sides of them, it's really nice for a cat to scratch. But if you put that one in the front, like they can't get like that traction with their claws, you know? Interesting. Yeah, yeah dude. that's a good call. Yeah, I have a you know, I have a two by two by four that I have my all my seven inches in and then some other stuff in there too. But I, I built these um like drawers that, that go into it. I went down to the hardware store, got some nice wood, got a rented a, uh, like a saw, like a table saw. So I could do, you know, horizontal or vertical rips. Um, just measured them out, cut them. Uh, they turned out pretty awesome. Um, the LP solution was a little bit different because, uh, it's, I just have like a big bookshelf that they're in. So, um, what I, what I've been doing recently is like, getting these uh, they're hard to explain but kind of like rustic looking crates that the records go in and then they sit on there which is also been helpful in the move because i don't have to box up the records they're already boxed up i just have to slide these things off the shelf the rules ben what's the struggle in the cd collecting world it's funny the room i'm in right <laughs> now is like the cd room and there are a lot of records in here too and some dvds and if there were if there was an earthquake and it's I'm completely surround I'm surrounded on three sides by all this stuff. And if there were an earthquake right now and this stuff fell off the shelves, you wouldn't even be able to see my body. Like I'd be like uh, I'd be That's underneath like media. 
two feet of stuff. Um, and it's like floor to ceiling shelves. And it's funny. I bought this, these CD shelves off a guy on Craigslist and I picked them up and somehow, and we started talking and he's like, yeah, these were custom made for me for CDs. And, um, it ended up that he was an old coworker of my dad when he was at Warner Brothers Records. And it was, it's like, of course, someone who has, you know, 5,000 CDs is like friends with my dad. Like, like, how could there be any other, um, uh, how could it be any other way? But, um, to answer Michael Paris's question, um, how do I deal with buying and wanting more crap when I don't really need it or have space for it? Buy more shelves. Cause I, every time I sell shit, I regret it. Not every time, but there's times where I'm like, I know I own this CD and I look for it. And I think to myself, I guess I sold this like five or 10 years ago when I just didn't care about this very much. And now I'm like, God, now I have to rebuy it. So like, I'm in that phase where I'm just like, I not, I don't want to sell anything. I mean, the only it's thing really- I would, huh? Go ahead. Oh, the only th- time I really think I would want to sell something is if I absolutely hate it. And if I absolutely hate it, how did I end up with it in the first place? So it's kind of like, I'm kind of just accumulating stuff and not really getting rid of stuff right now. I'm an asshole. I have shit parked on Discogs for like way too expensive and like like four times their value just because they're sitting there and I don't really want to get rid of them. And people email me and they're like, dude, what, like, what do you really want for that record? And it's like, that's what I want, dude, because I don't really want to get rid of it. You know, I just have it on there in case, like, I got to get in a pinch and I got to drop the price to a fair price, you know? And it's wild because, like, some people have, like, bought, like, bit and, like, bought stuff for, like, way more than, like, I thought they would, you know? Like, I won't, I won't toss stuff out here, but it, it's wild, like, thinking about having to parse down your collection because things go in waves of how much they cost. And it's like, yeah, I have like two boxes of seven inches I want to get rid of, but then I look at them and I'm like, do I really want to get rid of that for like a nickel, you know? And do I really want to like carry that to the record store and have them be like, dude, we don't want that shit. And then I got to carry them back to my truck and then back up like the stairs to my apartment, you know, like, I don't know. So this stuff like loses value too. And you have to compare it like the value you're going to get for it compared to what it is to you, even if it's kind of junk. And then we're in like that whole hoarder territory, which is like this terrible purgatory that I think that Michael is probably in when he brought up this question, right? Like, when do I get rid of stuff? Dan, do you ever feel guilt like getting rid of stuff? Yeah, I I feel guilty on two levels. I feel guilty like... um there was something that made me buy this in the first place and I had a connection with it at the time for most things. Some things, it was like, oh, yeah, I took a chance on this and I didn't quite care for it. But for most things, like I had a connection with it and it'll, it'll inevitably fall into the category that happens with Ben where the minute I get rid of it is the minute, like, you know, three months later is when I want to go dig dig it out, you know? Um but there's also a guilt of just to myself of not doing the parsing down. And like, so everything that I told you of all of those different record racks are all absolutely hundred percent full. And there is also records stacked on top of 
two of the things, like just tons of stuff be waiting to be alphabetized, put away for the next time that I do go through things to make room for that stuff. So it's really difficult and it makes me feel guilty for, I mean, my place is tidy and nice and stuff, but the records are taking over and the shoes are taking over and the clothes are taking over. Like I need to have someone who is an eBay whiz just come live with me for two months and we'll split the profits of everything that we put up 50 50. Yeah. I think that also like selling off, like part of the guilt is like you're giving up part of your youth. Right. So like, yeah. Not not to put anyone on blast, but like let me use this as an example. Right? The band The Damage Done, Kyle Whitlow's band. Right? We we all loved Kyle. We played with the Damage Done. And it's like you don't want to forget those memories, right? So it's like, but do I really need three damage done seven inches? Like I haven't listened to them, you know, maybe ever. You know? I just have them. And then so it's like, do I keep these? Do I not? the minute that I get rid of them, like, do I just forget Kyle Whitlow existed? Like, this is sad. Like I'm they're almost there as like markers of, of like great times you had and friends you had and, and so forth. Right. And so like you feel a guilt when you get rid of things that were at some point, like sentimental to you. And there's also no oh, yeah. incentive. There's, there's very little incentive to get rid of that whole, you know, early to mid two thousands bands you played with. And that's how you ended up with their records because that shit isn't worth shit. Like there's like five bands that have records from that era that ha- have value to them, you know? And there's yeah, like the incentive is not being a hoarder. The incentive is not being a hoarder and having to get rid of shit. Cause you don't have space. Like that's the, that's the thing, but that's like what you're up against, right? It's like, basically you got to like give it away, but like who to give it to. That's why like the best scenario I love is like being able to gift people shit, you know, like if, if someone like mentions something that they like and it's like, I have stuff that I don't need and I can give it to someone that I know would like it. That is like, Oh, it feels so good. So everyone tell Zach what you want, what you need, (laughs) what you love. Put it in the comments. I really wish I could have a Madball record. It's like, God damn it. I got doubles everything. <laughs> you know? Okay. Well then I'll be hitting you up. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. Let's address the third part of the question here. And Chris, I want you to handle this. How can we best support an artist if we don't want to be burdened with owning something physical? Right? So a dude loves change. He listens to you on Spotify. He saw you at a show. He's like, this band is the shit. And I talked to Posse Chris after the show. And that dude lives it. I love this band, but I don't want to own shit. I don't need it. You know, so what's the best way for him to support your band, him or her? I mean, for me, I mean, I would always rather people stage dive at my shows than buy anything that I have. But, you know, I'm a little bit in a different financial situation than I was, you know, when I was touring all the time and stuff like that. But But Chris, um, he comes to every show. Like he lives, he lives in the Pacific Northwest. He goes to every show. He slams and stage dives at every show. He wants Love to go it. the extra mile. How can he support you? It's my favorite kid right there. <laughs> I mean, there's so many ways you can support a band. You know, it's, it's not even financial, but I mean, financial. Yeah. You could, you know, if you don't want to buy physical, buy the MP3s, you know, if you don't want to, if you don't have money, you know, sneak in the back door of the show and stage dive like crazy or, you know, 
come come find me at the show and say, yo, I love your band, but I'm broke and I'll put you on the guest list or sneak you in the back door, you know, uh, tell people about bands, you know, like talk about them, hype them up on your social media, you know, make sure other, yeah, make sure other people are checking out the bands and, you know, maybe there are people that, uh, well, you know, we'll do the same thing, stage dive and go crazy and spread the word and, you know, buy a shirt, whatever. I think that's, that's the biggest thing I think is just like spread the word. Like if you, if you're hyped on a band, like the best thing that you can do for that band is get other people hyped on the band too. Yeah. And, and, and also like, you know, money gets spent right. And forgotten about and like good feelings kind of last forever, you know? So like, I feel the same way, like someone buying like a retaliate shirt, like that's nice. I appreciate it you know and like you rocking it if i see you rocking it i'm like fuck yeah that feels good but it also just feels good like to see like a post right someone posts on instagram and they tag you in it you know and it's like oh i was listening to this it's like oh fuck yeah like that can make my day you know what i mean yeah, and like absolutely. yeah and that good feeling that can make your week it can make like your whole like it can make your attitude for that day cascade to like other goodwill that you're giving out to the world you know what i mean like that that's just how i feel yeah i mean those good vibes aren't going to fill up the gas tank if they're on tour but so right. like it's not not the end all be all but like you know like i said spreading the word could potentially bring more people out of their shows you know selling more merch selling more tickets putting more gas in their tank you know getting them you know especially in your hometown like if you like a band you make sure everyone in that city loves that band you know, like do all you can to make sure when they come to your town, like they're having the most fun that they're going to have and that they want to come back again ASAP, you know? Also gifting stuff is cool, right? Like, cause especially like people that aren't freaks like this and like pack rats, like, you know, they have like, they're not going to go out and buy LPs. Like if I gave like my friend that I know likes punk and hardcore a change LP, like that might turn into his favorite band, you know? So I think that's a move. Dan, what's your take? Well, I, I think it's there's like a threefold thing that you can do. But one is the the most important is spread the word. Like just sing from the rooftops how much you love something because A, you're going to make them feel good, which is going to drive them on to do more. To They're not in an echo chamber. Now they know that people are really feeling it and – so it, it drives them on to make more music, to play more shows, to do things like that. The, the flip side of that is everyone you are recommending it to, there's a great chance that you are now telling them about what their new favorite band in the world is going to be. So you're not only helping the band, but you're also helping your hardcore community like be open to stuff. There's so many things that Chris has shared with, you know, us on our group chat that we're just like, Oh, I fucking feel this. Thanks so much for introducing it to me, you know, or like, you know, my friend Bordy in England, like will hit me to something or, you know, someone on the East coast will give us a shout out. Oh, you got to check this new band out or modern Mike. He like is always got his ear to the ground. Like I love being fed these things. So, not only are you helping the band, you're also helping your crew. And then, yeah, I think uh, real, real quick on that, like you mentioned Mark Boardman and like Dan and I both are people that found out about the band Hive is from Mark Boardman, 
you know, doing this. And then we have just been like shouting from the rooftops about high viz. And then, you know, some other people that I know that have, you know, it's, it's a, it's like a pyramid scheme, but like Mark's not getting all the, <laughs> Mark's not getting all the money. Like uh high viz is getting all the love and, and that's so sick. Yeah. And, and there's the thing where like he specifically addressed it to aging collectors, which we are, and we're, you know, older heads in, in the scene these days, there's things that we can do that we don't need to have the physical thing, but you can still drop like 20 bucks to the band. If you go see them, like just put it on the merch table, say, Hey, put this in the gas tank or you can, you know, gift someone something via Venmo or whatever it may be. Like um, all of those things are going to totally help. Like, you know, on Bandcamp and things like that, you can buy just the digital MP3s instead of just streaming them. You can go buy the digital MP3s and sometimes it says pay as much as you want. And if you really want to help them out, you can make it 50 bucks for four songs if you want, you know, there's all those. Fuck it, dude. Make it 17 grand. I don't have it. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, if you want to help, shit. Yeah, why why is that there? Help. Can someone help me with 17 grand? <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the, there's all those things. And I, I think even just approaching someone at a show, as intimidating as it might be to some people, if you go up to one of those bands that just played and say, hey, man, I really fucking dug that, or like, you know, I can't wait to see what you do next. Any of those things, they're they're definitely not going to fall on deaf ears. So those are my takes. Hell yeah. But just come up and give a bump and say, I appreciate that. You know, (laughs) it's hard after you play a whole set to like settle into a 10 minute conversation, not to be a dick. Oh, well, different, different people for sure. Like read the room. I mean, that's why most people just talk to our bass player. But hey, what can you do? All right. Ben, you got a closing thought on this? If push came to shove and I had to move into a smaller place, I'd trash my CD jewel cases, keep the CDs, the booklets, and the back tray cards. It would be a huge undertaking. And I'd be sad that I could no longer read the spines to find the CD I wanted to listen to. But it's better than getting rid of that shit. So I'm keeping everything. And uh, and you guys <laughs> may, all made good uh, suggestions. Uh, the same suggestions I had written down for how to support bands. Um, if you don't want to own something physical, you could just and you know you could fucking just PayPal a band, just give them money. I suppose. Yeah. You could, dude. You could. Yeah. You know, taking those CDs out of the jewel case—that's a slippery slope, dude. That's the first step to not giving a fuck about your CDs anymore. I think all of us that have like liquidated our CD collection started that way. You know, <laughs> like when you had them in the jewel case, they meant something. As soon as they came out, it's like, uh, okay, roadside. I'm not doing it. <laughs> yeah, don't do it, dude. Don't do it. All right. All right, we're going to give some shine to uh, some bands and records that we want to do again. I love this segment, and uh, we try to lean new, 
but uh, it's really whatever you think is maybe falling out of the vernacular or something new that you want to give some shine to. And Dan, let's go to you first. What's your choice? I'm going to do the EP by the band Spy called Habitual Offender. This is outrageously aggressive hardcore that is recorded in a a really great fashion. Um, It's got that Gulch Neanderthal beat that goes throughout, uh, but it's also... I think the drumming on this record is actually incredible. Um, And then the singer, uh, Peter, the way that his vocals come in, it's almost like a guitar player that's playing and then clicks the pedal to do like the overdrive or the really hard like part. And um, every time the vocals like stamp on top of the music, it's almost like a pedal is being stepped on. I feel Um, the lyrics are awesome. They're um, very, they're, very political and angry, absolutely enraged to take the you know first line of the first song. They are extremely aggressive and they're delivered with um you can just see the the uh veins in the neck just exploding as these are delivered. Um my favorite songs on the EP are Exceptional American. Um it's a, it's an amazing indictment of you know what the average man in the street woman in the street confused american is going to think that american exceptionalism is and it's just awesome it's just about no this 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 place is absolutely fucked for many of its citizenry and um this lie that is out there of exceptionalism is being used to keep people in place, you know, and it's uh, it it's really delivered amazing, like um, full of blind and thoughtless pride, fool fanatic, fed only lies is the last two lines, and it it really sums it up that the American dream and American exceptionalism are placeholder, well, used to keep people in place and striving for things and continue them to be the cogs of the machinery of capitalism because they're, they, you know, they've been told one person has made it or another person has, you know, and it's, it's a, a real, it's a topic that really rings home for me. And then, um, the song habitual offender is my other favorite, which is, um, basically talking about police brutality and that the, um, brutality that goes on with the cops is like a a bred in habitual um almost it's in the tenants of the job nowadays you know it's a really really fantastic lyrics um and this is just a, a raging raging hardcore ep i can't wait to see what comes next from them like this is for fans of from beatdown to power violence to um, traditional hardcore to very screamy stuff, like everything about it. Like it's just brutal music that has really good 
sinister melody hiding under the surface, but it's it's ripping your face off. It's what modern hardcore is now, right? Like it is very similar to like scowl, you know, in the way that it has it's brutal, but it has a nice bright recording. They flow in and out of tempos really seamlessly. And I think one of the things that makes this so cool is the drummer's great, but he doesn't show off at all. Like there's yeah. like almost no drum fills on this entire EP and they catch you off guard. Like, what tempo they're going for. But again, it's just like seamlessly in and out of everything. It keeps you on your toes. It's very interesting. It sounds so upset, so mean, so brutal without like falling into any sort of trope. Um, yeah, it's a same, great choice. Same drummer as Scowl. Oh, so there you go. Your ears were, your ears are working. How about that? Chris, what's your take on this? Yeah, my take on this first and foremost is that Cole, the drummer, is the sickest. Uh, actually, got to hang with him recently at just another gig up in uh, in Tacoma, and that was really fun catching up with him after. Man, but like the last chain shows before the pandemic were uh, with Scowl, and then I was supposed to see him a couple months ago, uh, but literally they got COVID and had to cancel the rest of their tour the night before, <laughs> before I saw him. So it was one night away from a reunion with, with those people. So it was really good to, you know, finally see him and catch up, but the band, uh, spy is a cool band. They're a sick band. Dan, I like that Dan mentioned like Gulch and, and like the Neanderthal beat that they have. This isn't, this band's not Gulch. Like it doesn't sound like Gulch, but it definitely has that, that caveman vibe and they have the intensity live and you know, no band will ever fill the, the gulch size hole, but I think they'll do an admirable, admirable job of, you know, carrying that torch for that scene. Um, there's a band that popped up. I think we talked about this a little bit at the, on the, what was it? 2020 super seven. Uh, when Steph took, uh, a spy song, this is a band that kind of popped up right at the start of the pandemic. Like, I don't remember if they, I think the first show actually might've been uh, that, you know, that crazy Bay area kind of welcome it back was. show. Yeah. Yeah. So they recorded maybe like right before shutdown or right after. And uh, you know, it, it sat around, got some buzz and you know, when they, they came out firing and, and things were popping and it was awesome for them. But yeah, this is this is good, fast, grimy, hardcore, lots of rage. Uh, you know, Dan or uh, Zach touched on the recording and and how bright it is. You know, compared to like a lot of a lot of bands in this lane, kind of really lean into muddy recordings. And and I love that you know, like the Scow record, and you guys have talked about this before. Like this this record's bright; it sounds good. Like if you hear what's going on. Um, the vocals do have some reverb on them, which is a, a common trope for like the style of hardcore, but they don't overdo it. Like some bands do, like you could still, you know, it's still crisp, even though there's like a little bit of echo in it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that like, if you were going to break it down, like this way you would consider like a modern fast hardcore band. Right. But the bands now they they lean into both the fast and the slow tempo. It's kind of cool. It's like the way that uh, you know, Power Violence used to go like really fast, 
to really slow. But like it, they don't do like scissor beats or blast yeah. beats. It's like they just go to like a fast hardcore beat and then like that slower tempo mosh. For sure. I think I think it's all kind of out of the SSD tree. Like if I had to to map it out, you know? Yeah. No, I, I think that's a, that's a great callback. Ben, what's your take on this? Uh, Dan called it Neanderthal drumming. I called it caveman drumming. I think we're pretty much on the same page uh, here. I think that caveman and Neanderthal are synonymous in this uh, scenario, unless we're we're talking about um, physical anthropology. Um, so you got the caveman drumming. You got the guy yelling over a telephone. You've got distorted bass. You've got guitar playing power chords with a few bendies thrown in here and there, but v- not very many, mostly just power chords. I can't make out a single lyric, which is fine, but you'd think that I'd be able to make out, you know, one word in one song, maybe, but I can't. Um, you could, you could, I mean, you could have told me that this guy's singing in Swahili and I guess I'd believe you because I, you know, I can't make out anything. Um, it's mostly, most of this EP stays in that negative approach mid-tempo pace except for that last song, which is called Negative Mind Power. And that alternates between like a killing time, mid-tempo beat, a regular fast beat, and then a very brief blast beat, like maybe two measures or one measure, and then and then this really slow section. So he's like all over the place on that one song. Um, and something I just noticed, uh, if Discogs is correct, and this is really strange... This song was released. I'm sorry. This EP was released on cassette as a six song cassette, which matches the what you see on Spotify, but also as a one sided 12 inch, a with which is five songs missing the title track. It's like, oh, we only have room for we only have room for five songs. Which song should we take off? Oh, the title track. (laughs) Could that be true? It's weird. I don't. I don't know. It might be like a pressing plant delay. And so they put out the tape and they're like, let's toss on another song and who knows how they titled it and so forth. But I would just say my takeaway from that and it looking like only the tape physical copies out, cause there's no picture of the 12 inch um, pretty rad on the labels because like, that's my biggest pet peeve with like this modern era and records taking so long to get out is people holding back the music. And it's like, this is fucking hardcore dude. You know what I mean? Like we have 40 years of history now. We know that like some bands, like, you know, they last like a year or two. So like, don't, you can't hold back the music for a year and a half waiting for like the record to come out, you know, like just put out the music on digital and let the cards fall where they may like the diehard is going to buy the physical copy anyway. So respect to like, it looks like two labels involved with this, like for letting the digital be out so we can enjoy it and talk about it now. You know, it's so cool. Absolutely. And let me address uh, the Ben not being able to understand the lyrics. His delivery is extremely, uh, really cool and unique, where if I were to guess, I would feel that he would write songs like, like the lyrics, almost like a poem. And then when they get the music, because the way that he puts the words over the musical parts is to draw out some words and make the line end that way or 
make one word draw out f- for a lot and then punctuate three words quickly to end the line. It's really unique. So if you listen, to, all the lyrics are on Bandcamp. So if you listen to the songs on Bandcamp, you can listen along with the lyrics and you'll get an idea of what I'm talking about. But I think it's a really unique, really cool way of of uh, putting the vocal cadence over these songs. Yeah, man. Agreed. All right, let's go on. Chris, what is your choice? What are we making shine here? I am talking about the Method of Doubt LP, Staring at Patterns, which came out in December 2021. I loved the 7-inch that this band put out before this in 2019, but there are four songs on it. Two of the songs on that seven inch were incredible. And then two were just kind of like, okay, they were solid. So I didn't know. I, I was a little bit skeptical that they'd be able to pull off it. An LP. I was still hyped for it. I was still really looking forward to it, but you know, I didn't think it was going to be phenomenal. And, you know, we've talked about this a ton on this podcast how, that, you know, it's easy to write songs. You know, it's easy to throw four songs together, six songs together and put out an EP, but it's hard as hell to write an LP. You can't just write a song, rinse and repeat, you know, eight to 12 times and say, all right, that's an LP. It just, it takes more care than that. You know, the sequencing, the, you know, the variation. So you just don't have the same song over and over and over again. Like there's, there's just so much care that needs to go into writing an LP and this is the type of LP that if I wrote and recorded this, I would have walked out of the studio with the biggest smile on my face because they just nailed it. Like it, the sequencing on this record is phenomenal. Like no, I had time. I picked a song from this for, for the super seven, but I had a hard time picking one because this record just kind of like the Akulu record that we've talked about where like no one song really tells the story of the LP. It's all like pieces of a whole and it's just not complete without any of the rest of them. So, so it's hard to, to look at it that way. Um, so they did a phenomenal job with just, you know, the entire package, the care that went into writing this record had to have been crazy. Like they must have just been the entire pandemic locked in themselves in a room and like meticulously crafting like the straight up, sonic van gogh basically um there's a lot of there's a lot of things that they do on this record to make it interesting um and and they do some experimenting and and do little little tricks and little flourishes but they don't overdo any one of them um you know you don't you don't listen to this and be like oh okay this is you know, the artificial harmonic band, or this is, you know, this is the palm mute band. Like they just, they use all these little tricks so tastefully. Um, I'm going to talk specifically about the vocals because even just the vocals on this record is some mastercraft of like all the different things that you can do to, to kind of switch things up and still be hardcore, you know, like how many different ways can you yell over a hardcore music and, and make it like diverse. And I mean, he pushes the limits on it. Like there's songs where, um, you know, the, the phrasing 
like the, the vocal phrasing is awesome. There's lots of variation on the cadence and how the words fit over the bars. Um, there's, there's rhyming and not rhyming. And then there's even extra rhyming, which is kind of like a hip hop trick of, you know, rhyming the same word like three or four times within a bar. Uh, a couple examples. There's a line that says narcissism, materialism, sadism, sadism by algorithm. Uh, there's another line that goes, took something that was free, sold it back to me and called it industry. Um, but even that, like he doesn't overdo that, you know, it's not like, it's just like this hip hop, like over rhyming a ton. It's just like, there's maybe two or three times where he shows you like, this is here. This is something a little bit different, but he, you know, he doesn't like, like Dan says, he doesn't beat the dead horse into glue. Um, he just teases it and, uh, and you see it and you respect it and maybe you want to, you crave it even a little bit more, but if it was a little bit more, it would take away from, uh, I don't know the flavor, like it's just a splash of flavor that he sprinkles in, um, you know, with some other things tastefully. Chris, you're saying he shows his dick, but only when you ask to see it. (laughs) I don't even know what that means, but, uh, (laughs) (laughs) Chris, I have a question. Did you pre-order this? Yeah, hit me. Did you pre-order this record? Ask me if I pre-ordered every version of this record. Oh boy. (laughs) One of those types. Going back to the very first thing, Chris is on an 18 months of record inhalation (laughs) instead of collection, just grabbing everything. No, I, you know, I, the way that I approach my record collecting, you know, getting back to what we were talking earlier without straying too far off topic is I really lean into like collecting records that have a personal connection for me with like people I know, like friends, like records that I love that are put out by people that I love. Um, particularly if it's something that pulls from like a time and place, um, that, that is special to me. Um, so for example, like probably my, definitely my most complete record collection would be allegiance, which is a band that I love friends of mine, you know, we've, we toured together. Um, and outbreak is the other one, like, you know, praise is another one, but, and then there's bands that the way that I kind of approach it now is like, if there's a band I want to support, I'll I'll pick up a record. If it's a band that I want to support and I think that the record is awesome, then I'll try to get, you know, Every, like every copy. So method of doubt, one step closer are records that I've, I'm just trying to gobble up everything. So I think that your, your Kulu analogy here was great. Um, because I think this is a band that it, it, it's a weird juxtaposition because it exists better in LP format, but it's like the LP is the sum of all parts and you can't break out like the songs, like a Kulu, like they need to be in the long format, but it's not so there's more songs. It's just so it's a bigger package. So, and then I like to take it in as one. And this is a great record. I know that you guys have, you guys mentioned before, like Zach might not like this one as much as, you know, we do. Cause you guys like the post hardcore thing more than I do. Um, but I think that the reason why I do like this is because, and it's funny, Chris, that you talk about like the multiple ways of singing, I think that the main v- vocals that he does, like while they're not yelling, he doesn't go too hard into the singing. 
So it doesn't take me out of it. In fact, it kind of plays in in a way of a record we're going to talk about later tonight. It reminds me a lot of Outspoken. Yep. You know, like, which is like my sweet spot. And, and you mentioning one step closer, like when, when that dude sings, it's like, Oh fuck, I wish you wouldn't do that. You know, but I, I appreciate the appeal because I know people like that, you know, or like never ending game when they like sing just a tad on a song here or there. And I'm always worried, like, fuck, I hope they don't go stripper metal. You know, like I don't get that here at all. Like they're not line stepping on what I like. Cause I like that main voice that he does for the majority of the record. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he has a, he has an interesting voice too. Cause it's not like he doesn't have an outrageous voice. You know, it's not like, um, like the singer of drain where you hear it and you're like, Holy smokes. This dude's voice is crazy. Right. Um, like he just sounds like a guy, you know, like a hardcore, a guy singing in a hardcore band and he doesn't get too gnarly, but he's got like just enough of a rasp on his voice that it sounds cool. And it sits in a, in a lane and a, a tone that, uh, I don't know. It just, it's, uh, it's, it's easy to listen to. Like, you know, it's not too high, not too low. I don't know. I'm probably doing a horrible, horrible job describing that, but I kind of like to compare it to maybe to like, like how, you know, not to this level, cause this is an all time great, but like Kurt's voices on a chain of strength where he has that raspiness and he kind of rides in the middle and that raspiness just makes it like sound so sick. Right. I thought you were going to say Kurt's voice on Nirvana. <laughs> ben, you love this record too, right? Yeah. Also, um, is this really an LP? It's 21 minutes long and it's eight songs. It doesn't matter. It's 12 inches. It's going to yeah. be a 12 inch record. Dude, if it's, it's on, tw- if it's on a 12 inch and it can't fit on a seven inch, it counts as an LP. That's the 185 truth. <laughs> Booyah. Um, I, I, the song kudzu off this album was going to be on my 2021 super seven, but we had that rule that we only had for that one super seven, which was one track per band. And so since Chris picked no friends, but the mountains in round two, I couldn't use kudzu. I had to take it off my list and I had a little paragraph and everything written for it. Um, so yeah, I, I am a fan of this record. It's total super touch core and other bands that had been doing this style over the years, I would include in, in this category to be like that, the, the mental LP planet mental that Euro core band justice. I can't remember if they were from Belgium. Forgive me if they were not. Um, Belgium, Belgium. I, confirmed. Okay, I'm right. Confirmed. Okay. Uh, <laughs> justice was very super touchy. Um, more recently, the uh, Orange County band Fury, the their first album had a real super touchy song at the end, and then their and then their second album, pretty much the whole thing was like that. So this is definitely in that camp. If someone's listening right now and hasn't heard it yet, I'm trying to describe it as best as I I can. D A C. I don't know what that stands for, but that's one of their songs. It has it starts with it with an acoustic guitar. and choose. Damn, you know everything. Um, it opens with an acoustic uh-huh. guitar, and then it has this build up into the verse that's just like the song "How Do You Feel" by Supertouch. Target fixation reminds me of the song "Spark" by Outspoken, so I'm hearing that too, Zach. 
and that is the that is the best outspoken song ever so that's a good thing and then the last song on this album which is no friends but the mountains reminds me of the first song on the super touch lp engine except these guys probably haven't been drinking all night although chris you probably would know uh are these guys uh you know x's on the hand types i don't i don't think they're a straight edge band okay so maybe they have been drinking all night yeah (laughs) um and i i think it's probably i know i know to like the the straight edge layman like it's that it's like either you're straight edge or you're a junkie but you know (laughs) they can just have a couple fucking cores lights on the weekend and enjoy football jesus christ i understand but i'm referencing a super (laughs) touch lyric about drinking all night um the it's probably easier for like first time listeners to get into this record than the super touch record because this one is short and sweet and has more up tempo songs so it's actually like a quicker more breezy listen than than super than the super touch album but um super touch holds a very uh, special place in my heart uh so this is a really good record for you know a lot of the stuff that's come out in the last uh probably about 30 years is tends to be more metallic than than my tastes uh uh lean so i i like hearing stuff like this i love the comparison of the second fury record i think that's perfect and you put it in the right lane ben dan what's your take on this yeah it's it, i mean i definitely hear the post hardcore ny stuff super touch uh even though it's hardcore, you know what I mean? Quicksand. I hear that a little bit, but I hear Washington DC throughout this. Um, you know, your right to springs, your Fugazis, etc. as well as it just being them. This is a, this is such an awesome listen to everyone who hasn't checked it out. Make sure you listen to it two or three times. Cause the first time, it didn't grab me that much. The second time I listened to this and I said, wow, this, and a a lot of what Chris said has already been like the stuff that was in my mind as well. But this is a band that has thought about what this record is going to be, has crafted these songs to what it's going to be. Lots of bands that we love on this pod they just go off a vibe and they write songs that just a vibe heavy. They pummel you. It's kind of what comes out, but this has been like carved crafted. The lyrics are exquisite. They are so well thought out and the way he delivers them with like, like you say, a, a multitude of, of different angles he's coming at singing on the songs, but it's all down to expressing the emotion. Um, you know, that's why I hear a lot of DC in this and for lack of, you know, a bastardized term nowadays, but emo, like I feel there's a lot of thought and a ton of heart on this LP. And, um, it's funny that you were talking about, are they, aren't they edge? Like the kudzu lyrics, I could totally read as being a straight edge song, like completely. For sure. But Um, the, um, the, the no friends but the mountains which is really really just the title of that really um hits home for me because you know i go i spend a lot of time alone up here in the bay area because um 
you know, lots of it's we're in a pandemic and I live alone, but I've got my dog and we go out to the forest or we go out to the mountains and things like that. And it just, the title of that just totally got me. But this is the song Chris brought up on the um, best of 21 pod super seven. And if, if anyone listening hasn't heard that pod, go back and listen because there's a lot of great things, but Chris mentioned the lyrics of this song and they're incredible. Like I'm a, I'm a lyrics guy and I absolutely love when a band can, you know, just really get me excited to, to, you know, read them, not even just listen along. Like, and you know, that part that Chris brings up on that pod is just, it's fucking intensely amazing, uh, lyric writing. So I recommend, uh, Everyone who hasn't listened to this, give it three listens. And, you know, if it's not for you, so be it. But I think everyone listening will find something on this record to to be excited about or to uh, touch them. Dan, to your point. Yeah, I agree. It, Don't. Uh, oh, go sorry. ahead, Ben. Uh, about it uh, sounding DC to you, there actually was a part on this record. I didn't, I forgot to write down the name of the song, but it's the one where the verses are very bass heavy and the vocals are almost spoken. That reminds me of soul side. And actually that yeah. band, that band from more recently called true head, which is Aaron Reinhardt's band. They were on young blood records. They're very soul society. I thought about both those bands for on that, on that, but then it goes into like, you know, another part. And I'm like, no, that sounds like that part sounds like super touch. So, <laughs> so I didn't write it down, but I did hear the DC a little. Yeah. This, uh, everyone check out, check out this record. Listen to the whole thing. Right, don't track skip on this guy because yeah, it's and, best. Go ahead. Sorry, I, I was gonna say, and the lyrics are on Spotify or are on Bandcamp. So, like, I highly recommend pulling that up and and listening, reading along. Like, I when this record came out, like, I listened to it a couple times throughout the day, like while I was working, and then that night when I got in bed, I pulled it up on my phone. I listened to it on my headphones and read through the lyrics, and like, no joke, I had to listen to the record again and like listen even the second time when i was listening to it without the lyrics like i was getting so hyped and i listened to this record three times in a row as i was going to bed and it totally woke me up like because i was so excited at like how you know how sick hardcore is you know and like when hardcore is done right like how amazing it is and I don't know. It just got me super pumped. I couldn't get that. I couldn't get to sleep that night. So, yeah, I love the records that will make you want to smash a wall down and even angry. But I also love connecting with something like this, where the heart is on the sleeve and it's unashamedly uh, letting you in, and it's done poetically and brilliantly. You know. Sorry, one more thing. I I know we we got to get to the rest, but I the the band name Method of Doubt is such a great name too. Like, if you're not familiar with philosophy, like basically this is a concept from Descartes. As I understand it, it's it's a process for finding truth where you start with the assumption that something is likely not true, and then you see if the evidence proves you wrong. And that's such a sick name for like a band that is in a time that we live in right now where people look at, you know, on the internet and they see, they hear Joe Rogan talking about something and they're like, Oh, this must be the truth. 
What if uh, C-A-T really spelled dog? All right. Um, ben, let's go to you. Tenement Rats, Crime Pays EP. Yeah, so um, this is a trio from the L.A. Long Beach area, and they've been around since about 2016. And I actually te- uh, texted the singer to, to try to figure out if they're still active because it's hard to tell these days since, you know, the pandemic and everything. Um, but they're from the kind of the scene that my band Surprise Vacation was playing in, uh, which is like mostly... 70s punk influenced bands playing at you know 21 and over shows um and then after seeing tenement rats play a few times i straight up went up to their singer singer guitarist his name is johnny watkins really funny guy and i was like you guys sound so familiar but i can't place it and he's basically just like oh yeah we're based on uh raw records and the first screwdriver album musically and and i'm saying musical influences okay so don't get carried away don't don't uh don't think these guys are like sketch balls because they're not um so raw records actually and it's funny when he brought that up because i have this cd that's um it's basically it's called the punks raw records punk singles collection so they were this label that put out almost or almost entirely or entirely of uh, singles from 77 to 79. And they were based in, in the UK and in, in Cambridge, which is just uh, North of London, about 60 miles. And so some of the bands on raw were, were the users, the killjoys, the unwanted, the gorillas, some chicken, the psychos, Acme sewage co like not household names by any stretch of the imagination. And so it's, and it, and it inspired me to listen to this CD again and I'm like, damn, this shit's way better than I remember it. And um, so a lot of this stuff, including Tenement Rats themselves, it's like straight down the middle, mid-tempo, UK-style 70s punk without very much melody. It's just like basic punk like for, from that first generation. And so like... They were they're cool live. Johnny's like this real self-deprecating guy who does those. Oh, he does these like barks between parts, like going out of like if there's an inst- instrumental section between like a verse and a, a chorus, and going back into the verse, he'll do that. Oh, which you hear that a lot now. You didn't hear it that much like six years ago. Um, and he's just like they're kind of keeping this very specific sound alive, which is cool. Dude, the first song on this is so good. Holy shit. That na 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 ba da ba 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 da ba da ba da 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 ba da da like holy shit, dude. It could be on any like pre-82 punk record and be like a standout. It would be on like every punk comp. It's amazing hearing a song like this good from a band like this late. Um and the other two songs are no slouches either. You know, but like the catchiness of the chorus on that first song, I was like, oh my God, dude, this is so good. It's, uh, it's wild. Everyone listen to it on the playlist, 185 miles south.com. Click that playlist link and check this shit out. Cause this is wild. Dan, what's your take? I really like it. It's, um, it's very, um, like obviously it's 70s punk uh power pop garage 
Um, all of that rolled into one. Um, I love the artwork too. I love the, gives me almost like fantastic Mr. Fox, but it's a rat in a balaclava. Um, it looks super cool, but like you say, the, the music is, you know, melodic in nature just because of the era that they're, you know, playing, but there is no like infused melodic guitar leads as much. It's more, done in the vocal melody, which uh, Zach just spoke on. It was super cool. Um, yeah, I really liked it. I, I'm um, a fan now, so I'm going to dig more into their other EPs and stuff. Uh, definitely recommend people checking this out because, you know, I heard a little bit of, well, it's, you know, I was going to say early, like late 78, 79, like, punk that hadn't become post-punk so the bands that were picking up off of what happened in 76 77 kept going so there's a bit of buzzcocks meets the mummies on this for me um i really liked it yeah Chris, what's another- your take oh i was gonna okay you had your take ben what's up <laughs> <laughs> oh but i was just gonna add when dan was talking about another th- stuff other stuff it reminded him of there was a band in the seventies called Johnny Moped from England, and they are very much like they put out an album in nineteen seventy eight, and they had a song called Incendiary Device, and it's very similar to this style of punk, uh, you know, mid tempo. Dude. <laughs> Dude, don't fuck with my twenty sixteen picks. <laughs> His album in twenty sixteen is ill as shit. Johnny Moped, what's up? Respect. Oh shit, he did put out an album in 2016. I only know the first one, but anyway, it's very. It's I can't believe you're a Johnny Moped fan. That's amazing. He never fell off, dude. Johnny Moped kicks ass. Amazing. <laughs> he never fell off the moped. He never did. Dude. He did once, but he wore his helmet. You know, Chris. What's your take on this? Um, I had never heard this before, though the name sounds familiar, but probably just because it's a good name. Um. But it's really cool. I really like it a lot. Um, like Ben, it reminded me of something that I couldn't quite put my finger on. Uh, but I do know it's not Screwdriver. Because <laughs> I don't have that frame of reference for the record. Um, yep. okay. uh-huh. to, me, to me, it kind of... Um, it reminded me of The Clash a little bit. Uh, and and maybe not you know the guitars and, and because... You know, it's not super melodic, but the I think maybe the vocals is what made kind of gave it that vibe. It's not as it's not as sassy as as you know some of the others. Like Dan mentioned, the Buzzcocks, which I think is a good comp, but it's not quite that sassy. Um, it's just kind of like I don't know. I just felt like it sounded kind of like a dirtier Clash, uh, but I really dig it, and I haven't had a chance to listen to it a ton because I literally just heard it for the first time yesterday um but i dig it i'm gonna listen to it some more for sure i've been scared for every podcast we've ever done to get canceled for saying something stupid and so i don't know why i'm even going here but let me stick up for the the screwdriver comparison um because he did say the first record and the screwdriver is like a band that put out an lp in 77 and then they basically break up and they come back and then they're giant pieces of shit the first record is like completely 
like it should be separated from the catalog. Dan, is that right? Yeah, it's like Morrissey. <laughs> yeah, you can always turn into a piece of shit later in life, you know, and uh, and then people can decide if they want to associate all your material with that or not. But I mean, the, like, the difference in LPs is like not. is fair enough. I think that's a fair take. Look, if you want to shit on the first screw, screwdriver LP, that's fine. Uh, more power to you. I do that does not offend me at all. Um, we should well, just say like it is a, uh, it's like a five, six, seven year gap between LPs. So it is like seriously a different band. Well, and I, I just want to piece of shit and fuck them all. I, I want to die of COVID. And one of them did. And thank God, but he came later. Um, I want to put this in historic context too. And I want to add what, to what Zach is saying. And uh, is that the band, Johnny Moped who put out that single in 1977, was on Chiswick Records the same year that Screwdriver put out the first album in 1977. So there's definitely a sound associated with Raw Records, Chiswick Records. Stiff leans a little bit more uh, pub rock and a little less punk, but some of the Stiff Records stuff, there's kind of like this second tier of punk below, like The Damned, The Clash, The Sex Pistols, Generation X, Buzzcocks around yeah, that but time. The that- was on Chiswick. Oh, they were on Chiswick and they were also on Stiff. Um, yeah. um, but like I would call them top tier below just beneath that. There's this kind of cool, like post pub rock kind of thing happening, um, with bands like, um, uh, uh, Eddie and the hot rods, that kind of stuff. And, and like, what's cool about a band like tenement rats is that, it can either lead you to that kind of music or it can, if you, if you weren't familiar with it in the first place, or it, it can remind you like, Oh yeah, I like that music. I'm going to pull out these old records again, which is cool. It's almost like a window into the past. And, um, so whatever that I just think that's neat. Shout out Johnny Mopin. Uh, okay. My choice is, I'm going with the second Candira LP, and this came out in 1997. Their first LP comes out in 95. The second one is called The Process of Self-Development, and I love these first two Candira records so much, and I have no idea why, because they're crazy. Like, the songs are long. It's heavy metal. It's not fast. It's fucking bizarre, and they add in so many parts, but, like, Dude, this is like, I guess it just taps into like some of the the instrumental music I love so much where it can like be an active listen or a passive listen. You know, like when I listen to like dub reggae, when I listen to chicha music, like I can just have it in the background and I'm like, oh, that's nice. Or like you can actively listen to it in your headphones and be like, oh my God, there is so much going on here. Like this is mind blowing, you know, and just eat it all up. And I can't even begin to describe what this sounds like. So the meat and potatoes of it would be like the guitar is going like do, 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 do. And kind of like, he's keeping the rhythm because the drummer is like this psychotic wild man that like, it's like, you know, ADHD is like him. He can't like hold it together to like play a straight beat because he's so talented and he's just doing a drum fill. Like, Every bar, he's doing something wild. 
So like this whole band is oozes of talent because like, how do these guitarists like hold it together when the drummer is just going for it in every single part of every single song. And then also like these songs are really long and it's like, when do they decide how to like end the song? Like, because you listen to these songs and you're like, Oh, another part, another part. It's like, Oh, now they decided to end it. Like, okay, cool. But for whatever reason, like it goes against everything that I normally like but it just keeps my interest in such a cool way. I think just because it's so monotone in a way when it's also like pushing all these weirdo boundaries, like the singer does like this death metal voice, but he's doing like a rap flow. And then I don't know, dude, like just even talking about it, it's making my brain hurt. Dan, can you even attempt to describe what this sounds like? Insanity. That's what it sounds like. It's, the most why I know why you like this. You you labeled all the reasons why you probably shouldn't, and you and you're confused why you do. This is the most YOLO record I've ever heard in my life. This is <laughs> they are YOLOing to the oblivion. Every member of the band, and I I I did a little like looking stuff up. One of the guitar players, it's. <laughs> it's annotated that he plays 10 string electric guitar <laughs> <laughs> and the drummer is credited with playing drums percussion the Rhodes keyboard bubble wrap and a didgeridoo <laughs> what is that <laughs> the it's Australian the- instrument that goes <laughs> <laughs> he's credited in playing those um, this band is th- what the one thing I would describe if like, cause this is coming out of like dudes that were in the NYHC scene that, but what I would describe this as is chops core. Every <laughs> member of this band can play their asses off. Right. Uh, Oh, by the way, the bass player is credited as having a five string fretted and fretless bass. <laughs> So that'll tell you something about it. When when I was listening to this in preparation for doing this pod, I texted you all that the song Mathematics is the most insane thing I've ever heard. It is like a quadratic equation as music. It's so jazzy, so mathy, so crazy. The, the singer does, this is pre, uh, probably not pre-corn, but, similar he does like some weirdo like death metal scatting rap at moments where you can't really tell what he's doing but it becomes percussive it becomes a part of the song but then there's a bagpipe playing at the end and there's all kinds of crazy (laughs) shit going on my mind was exploding and halfway through like one of those like scatting like rapping parts i swear to god he switched to espanol like i was like what the fuck is he talking in spanish now well, apparently there's someone named Jorge who's guesting on that. And I was like, is that Jorge from uh, Marauder? Who knows? Um, but my favorite song on the LP is Down to the Last Element, which is the hip hop song <laughs> where they have like almost like a cypher on it. Like there's a, the singer is obviously doing some of the rapping, but they also have other people on there rapping. It's, this is, like the producer, whoever the producer's name is Michael Burreal, 
and it was on MIA Records, and he is probably like, do you have another idea that we can put in this song? Yeah, let's go for it. Let's do this, and let's add this. It is pure just bring everything you've ever wanted to put into a song, and let's just showcase our talent. And Yeah, it's the kitchen sink approach. That's what they call that. <laughs> yeah. But it has a groove that goes through the whole thing, and I think that's what I like is because it can settle in and be – in the background and you're still just kind of like bobbing your head. It's not total zany, fast in and out wackiness, you know, like it's not like the Dillinger escape plan or anything, you know, where it's just like crazy. It's like, they are like trying to write the best songs they can and they're settling into a groove and then they're just getting buck. To me, it's just, it's impressive how big this band got off of having such an avant-garde, creative and insane style you know yeah i love i love that term avant-garde because that's i mean that's really what it is like the avant-garde of hardcore yeah jump in chris what does it sound like to you uh (laughs) all right so (laughs) if, (laughs) if you like technical metallic hardcore or even like just technical metal and you like beat down hardcore and you also like jazz and you also like hip hop. This is like a Thanksgiving plate with heavy servings of each of these. <laughs> uh, but as we know, you know, with that, that heavy Thanksgiving plate, it's, it's all slopped on top of each other. So like, you know, some people may love all that stuff individually, but they don't want it bleeding over. They don't want to have their night. They want to have their nice, neat, organized plate that's neatly segmented. And, you know, the cranberry sauce isn't bleeding into the stuffing and the green beans aren't touching the mashed potatoes. But Candaria's green beans are all up in the mashed potatoes and the cranberry sauce is all up in the tofurkey. Like, <laughs> this is like, it's wild. Uh, I don't personally really like it uh not because it's bad like i think uh, clearly these people are supremely talented and what they're doing here is very creative it's very interesting it's very entertaining to listen to um it's just not really my thing it's not my lane and you know it's not something i throw on all the time um but they do it and they go for it and you know i i love dan you know when you mentioned avant-garde because that's really i mean it's wild I it's let not, me ask you. It's, it's just not fair that like these guys are so good at their instruments that they're not like millionaires, you know? Yeah. Well, apparently sure. they are because they uh, were in a van accident that they ended up settling for something like some some truck hit their van and made them flip, and all of the members went flying out of the van. Jeez. And apparently they settled for twenty nine million dollars. Damn. Jeez, Jesus. They all live? According to Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> dude, they got out like, like that van accident. They're like, what if they're like, dude, what are we doing? Like, none of our music makes sense. <laughs> like, let's just start a youth crew band. <laughs> Do you think, when was that the accident? Was it before they no, it was, recorded it was everything? After, or it was, was that day? No, it was just. It'd be funny if I don't know. Sometimes a, li- a life, sometimes a, a life-threatening incident can make you look at things differently. Yeah. You know? What What if when they all went flying out, that didgeridoo like went flying, and they never were able to recover it? 
Dude, they could buy so many didgeridoos now. Respect and good for them. Yeah. Um, uh, question for you guys. What? So we're talking to people that have heard this before, probably, and maybe hopefully some young kids who haven't heard it before. Like who, what young hardcore kid today is, do you think is going to be most likely to vibe with this? I have no idea, dude. Like maybe if you like harm's way and division of mind Mm. and Jesus peace and you smoked weed for your first time Uh and like you're getting paranoid. I was thinking maybe like fans of vein. Cause that, yeah. Okay. Pretty wild. But maybe like sprinkle in some pillars of ivory. Uh, yeah. But it's even, it's not even like, it's way crazier than even that sounds. Oh, um, like it's, way. it's far out there. Um, it's wild. Yeah. Like knock loose. If yeah. it, if they went totally buck, I don't know. Ben, what does this sound like to you? I think that the guy rapping in Spanish is Nino Bravo. Um, that I'm just going off of, uh, uh, discogs. Um, and that reminds me of Dino Bravo. Um, so yeah, he, he speaks French. He's French Canadian. Uh, I, I bumped into the singer of this band at a party in LA in the early two thousands. And it was just like Candiria. Oh yeah. You were on like one of those CD samplers I had with sub zero and shit like that. I totally know <laughs> who you are. And he was, and I, I thought it was like a guitar- I thought it was a guitar player, but I guess it, it's the singer. I'm looking at the photos. It was the singer of this band. And um, he was super cool and super talkative. And he told me about Rudy Giuliani and how he fucked up New York when he was mayor. And he, he told me this story that I'll, every time Rudy, Rudy Giuliani is in the news, which is f- for some reason a lot still, I think about this story this guy told me. He was carrying a guitar onto the subway which is why I thought he was a guitarist. And he went through the turnstile. He paid. He went through the turnstile to get onto the subway. He reaches over to grab his guitar and cops see him do it and think that he had just jumped the turnstile and they fucking arrest him and throw him in jail, which is just so crazy. It's just such like a, even if he had jumped the turnstile, like do you really need to go to jail for that? And that's how insane New York was under that mayor. Um, yeah, and Ben, to 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 sprinkle on your story, the singer's a black dude. Yeah. Oh, singer's a black guy. Yeah, that and that that is important to bring up in this context because Rudy Giuliani was super racist, and the singer in my band, Bad Reaction, from Brooklyn, black guy, had very similar stories too, and really, really hates Rudy Giuliani. Um, so on to the music. It's like the transitions are between unlistenable metal bordering on new metal, eerie instrumental interludes, jazz rap, instrumental jazz, Latin jazz, and bagpipe music, and then the the that rap song method of expression, which is really weird because it's not listed on Discogs as a track on the album, but it appears as track four on Spotify. And that's kind of like the more, that's probably the most listenable one to me. And it's really kind of just like a mellow rap song. And um, uh, I'm surprised that Zach even likes this because 
kind of the default setting of this band seems to lean more new metal than metal core. Like it reminds me more of Cold Chamber than than like Trapped Under Ice or or whatever. I just never listened to new metal, so I I couldn't tell you. Right, and I guess like in the sprinkles of new metal that I would hear, like the people are singing, and that's what I hate. I hate when like people sing over heavy music. It's stripper metal. It's like the worst music in the world, you know. Where this is like a dude like rhythmically, like bringing the heat with like death metal vocals. It's is bizarre and wild. And and Ben, we heard about him like the same way. It was on a CD sampler. I think it was on Too Damn Hype. That's and it was it. just like, what the fuck I is had this? That, I had that too. Yeah, dude. They must have made like 10,000 of those. Like, it was like, what the fuck is this shit? And then, uh, yeah, we loved it. We went and saw them one time because I think that they were doing some bigger tour, but like they were late for the tour. So they came up and like picked up like a LA club show. And it was like record label showcase night or some shit. We saw them in Hollywood on like a Tuesday. And there were all these super lame bands like trying to get signed, like that brought all their props and shit. And they like came out and headlined last and like everyone left because, you know, it's one of those showcases where everyone brings their friends and when that band's not playing, they leave, you know? And so yeah. they played to like, I don't know, 10 of us and in like a Hollywood club. I can't remember what it was. It wasn't the Rossi, it wasn't the Whiskey, but it was like one of those. Might Yeah, I don't think it was a key club. I, I just can't remember what it was. Thorns would remember. It was me, Ryan Thorns, Adam, someone else. They came out and just fucking slayed it for like 30 minutes. Like, I was just like, I can't believe they're doing the shit from the record. Like, what the fuck is going on? You know, it was like mind blowing. And it's just stayed with me ever since that, like, you know, we all remember the 90s and CD comps like coming out that are free and you just skipping through them and liking two songs. And then, like, here's this song that blew my mind. And then, like, going to see him and, like, them blowing my mind again. This is like, well, fan for life, dude. Sign me up. What's up? Yeah. Um. So it really is a time and a place kind of thing. Because, like, if you weren't there or if they were playing to, like, 500 people who are way into them, you wouldn't have felt as much of a connection, right? Totally. Because, yes, I would agree with that. Because, like, you know, at the same time, like, this is late 90s. All our bands are not playing to a ton of people. And so we're relating with like the struggle, right. Of like us putting our heart and soul into something that we love and care about and it not being like, there's no mass appeal, you know? And obviously these guys are functioning on like a whole nother level. I mean, they're on fucking Saturn or some shit. Right. But like, still like the, there's that hardcore kinship there of like, you're coming, you're laying it down in a raw way with no gimmicks you're wearing your heart on your sleeve. You're playing your hardest to an empty room. And it's just like, what's up? I love this. Yeah. I found the, I found the CD sampler on Discog. So I have the whole track list here. And the two Candiria songs are Elevate in Madness and Temple of Sickness. Yeah. Both from this record. And that's weird because I was looking at that on Discogs earlier and that, that, CD sampler comes out in 95. This doesn't come out till 97. So it's very confusing. I don't know if it was like demo cuts of this record or what, because they put out a record in 95 as well. And you see, you would think that the songs would be off that, but who knows? Anyway, everyone check out the playlist and get your mind blown. And so are these records. Collectors bargain corner. 
All right, Record Collector's Bargain Corner making a hard right turn away from Candiria. And I think this one is uh, close to all our hearts. It is the No Reply self-titled 7-inch. Came out on Mankind Records in the year 1999. This thing, there's a bunch of copies for cheap. This thing rages all the way through. Get it from Old Time Ways on Discogs for $2.12. Get it from VG underscore Allen for $2.76. Hey, if you're in the Netherlands, you can get it from Notten Boom for two euro. And I don't know, would it be 50 cents, Dan? What's the cent shit in euros? Two euro fitty. Two euro fitty. Get it off Notten Boom. It's just all over the place, dude. This thing is short. It rips. It's still fucking pissed. You want to build out your record collection on the cheap. This has got to be in there. Dan, you love this. I do. Absolutely love it. Of my body covered, I'm still fucking pissed. Uh, trying to do one of those Motown things where, you know, Dozier Holland, Dozier, like, uh, <laughs> you know, basically covering your peers is essentially what I'm saying. Um Absolutely love it. It there's not a bad song on it. It's beautiful. Love it, Chris. Your take? I love it too. This band rules. Uh, I never got to see them live, but I was a big admirer from up in Seattle. It's raw. It's raging. Um, I've compared Gloss to their their sound uh, sonically. So if you like Gloss, like what Gloss sounds like, check them out. Um, also, if you're into Gloss's politics. Uh, you know, it's not the same politics, but a very critical thinker. And Dave, and check out the podcast that he did recently, 185 Miles South, because it was a great listen. Hell yeah. Ben, what's your take on this? Um, yeah, I got this when it came out, and I saw them so many times that I barely listened to this record because all I had to do was go see them, you know, a week from now. And um, now that the dust has settled, I can say this is definitely worth whatever you said, $2 and I mean, it's probably worth more than that uh, in my, in my heart, but definitely at least worth that much. So yeah, you should buy it. And plus, it's nine songs. So if you divide the amount of money you're paying per song, it's like, come on, there's no reason not to buy it. And and John Westbrook is the guitar player on this, and uh, you can listen to um, a young uh, John Westbrook. Uh, hitting those power chords before he was in broken needle with me and knife fight and many, many, many other bands riffs for days. The mighty John Westbrook. What's up? The fight lasts for hours. Each ram battering the other dozens of times. Head to head. All right, we're going head to head. Two of the best hardcore LPs of the early slash mid 90s. We are putting the outspoken LP, A Light in the Dark, 1992 New Age slash Conversion Records, up against the Undertow LP at both ends, 1994 Excursion Records. Chris, I know where you're going because you like where you live, but uh, put these two head to head. Come on. <laughs> I was going to start saying, are you guys kidding me right now with this? 
You're really going to grab a 90s era Seattle hardcore kid and ask him this question? <laughs> uh, I don't. That's in heavy jest because the outspoken record is phenomenal. Um, these are these are two great records. They're they don't sound anything alike, uh, but both of them carry a very gloomy vibe. Um, and and so it's cool that we're looking at these as two. Like these are both bands that could be from Seattle. You know, Seattle has always had kind of a a gloomy. Uh, you know, a, a gloomy mood that has kind of transcended across genres from, you know, obviously like grunge is, is the big one, but like hardcore hip hop, like a lot of the Northwest hip hop stuff is super gloomy and, and maybe uh, got back. <laughs> well, maybe not the, maybe not the classic classics, but like, you know, definitely like the nineties era, especially like the post grunge stuff. There's a lot of uh, like a lot of like the, the hip hop, kids from that era listen to a lot of punk and grunge and metal um but uh let's see i love outspoken i mean the title track is one of my favorite songs of the 90s it's maybe better than any single song on the undertow lp like it's that good um it's it's one of those kind of declaration like hardcore uh declaration songs um and it's just like such a it's so outspoken has like a, a gloomy vibe, but it also has like a message of optimism, which is kind of an interesting juxtaposition. And th- that's exactly what this song is about. Like, you know, it not focusing on like the people that drift to the side of hardcore and that there's always new blood that's coming in. That's um, doing things right. Um, but with these two records, like you're basically asking me to choose between my dog and someone else's dog. And yeah, that other person's dog is cute as hell. And I appreciate that. And the world can never have too many loved and cherished dogs with good homes. But Zoe is my girl. She's part of me. So I'm sorry that other dogs got to go. Uh, Dog versus Reggie. Come on, (laughs) dude. Sorry, Reg. (laughs) (laughs) No disrespect, Dan, but you know, you know, you know how it is. Like, it's always my girl, right? Um, yeah. so there's a red so, in the dark. <laughs> if you haven't parsed out my thinly veiled uh, analogy here, Undertow is my dog, and Pettibone and Murph are my dogs. I'm taking it at both ends. This is a record I listened to religiously before I even ever went to my first hardcore show. Like I've talked about this on a number of pods, including the Northwest uh, Super 7 episode that we did. Uh, like this is a band that I always heard whispers about like, but I could never see them because this was a pre internet era where, you know, I didn't know anyone that was into hardcore and, and I had no idea how to find out about these shows. I found an undertow CD after hearing like whispers about them. I found an undertow CD and I listened to it religiously, but I never actually got to see them, um, you know, until like reunions, um, I actually have, you guys ever have like those random memories of listening to certain things at certain times, like in certain places. And like, for some reason that memory is just like extra, extra visceral. Um, 
I definitely remember standing in line for a, like a Halloween haunted house that like the big radio station here did. And I'm just standing in line with my friends for some reason, not talking to my friends, just listening to this record or this, you know, this, a tape of the CD probably on why walk man, or maybe at a disc man. I don't know, but I'm just blasting. I remember blasting taken a song that goes, you don't know me or how I live my life. Um, you know, this is probably 28 years ago, but I still remember this. Like, it, it, I don't know. It's just such, it's one of those things that just kind of like sticks with you. And, and I don't know, it's part of me, um, you know, listening to this CD and like wishing with all my heart that I could be, you know, like I'm looking through, not at the haunted house, but <laughs> at home, like combing through the lyric sheet and looking at like these pictures of them playing clearly in like basements and like living rooms. Like I, I believe one of them that you could see like a sliding glass door in the back background, you know? And it's just like, where are these, where are these houses that these shows are happening and why can't I be there? You know, um, which has got to be such a crazy concept for, you know, people that came up in, in an era of internet, like, you know, not even Spotify, but like, you know, message boards and like, uh, MySpaces and Facebooks and stuff where you could find out about all these shows. But anyways, I really digress. Uh, I'm taking at both ends. It's a great record. Uh, it's got, I mean, it's a very original sound. Uh, it, it, it's got like all the spirit and, and emotion of, of a band like, uh, uh, um, inside out. But like some of the, like the dark, again, the dark gloom, gloominess of uh, like a, a Unbroken, who, you know, obviously they were peers. I don't know. Again, like every time we do these A versus B or this record versus that record, like you can't go wrong with either of these, but I got to take my dog here. <laughs> I love it. Ben, what's your take? Well, it should be noted that Chris has switched dogs as of this month. He is now a California resident. So you got to switch outspoken baby. Right. Uh, my dog came with me. So uh, yeah, she's, <laughs> she's sitting on the bed next to me. Uh, but she's, she's still a Seattle uh, street dog. I um, lost, lost her eye fighting a porcupine in Moses Lake, Washington. Are you serious? <laughs> Yeah, when we dude, when they found her, she was pregnant with eleven puppies and had an eye that had to be removed along with eleven puppies. Was she <laughs> on meth? Shit. She was probably she probably found some meth up there in uh Lake Lake Stevens? No, Lake uh yeah, Moses Lake maybe? I don't know. Moses Lake, I think, which is like in the middle of the state of Washington. It's like there's not much out there. Probably a lot of meth. Chris should have moved to Bakersfield so she could finally feel at home. <laughs> well, I've got a three-legged dog, so they're, they can hang out That's with each other. Um, so I thought this wasn't fair when Zach posed the head-to-head because I figured Undertow would take it by a wide margin. And then I started listening to the um, Outspoken record again. Of course, I have been listening to both of these since the nineties and love them both. That should be said up front. But 
I started listening to the Outspoken album and I got really into it. And I was thinking, ah, oh, Undertow will still take it. And then, um, then I started listening to the Undertow record and I'm like, fuck, I'm, I was more hyped on Outspoken. I don't know why. I can't really say one's better or worse than the other, but, um, to explain the differences between them, I totally get that dark vibe from both of them that you mentioned, Chris, um, outspoken is more moralistic. Like each song teaches a lesson. Like there's a song about animal rights, a song about judging women on their looks, environmentalism, how rape is bad. And then undertow leans more personal. And then you have like clearly two very different singers. Like John Coyle's got this husky, almost whispery voice. And then John Pettibone from Undertow's got this like really full emotional sounding yell that he does on every song. And then Outspoken kind of chugs along at this, like doing their mid-tempo hardcore. And then, but Undertow is heavier and more epic sounding. And they have, I'd say probably faster fast parts but a lot more slow parts and um i never i i think both records are very samey i know i just said i love both of them and i do but i very rarely listen to them straight through i skip around on both these records and i think there's like you kind of know what you're gonna get by track three on both of these records like they they like outspoken has a sound they have a formula they stick to it Undertow has a formula. They stick to it. Um, I'm giving it to outspoken by a fraction of a hair. And also it should be noted. We are judging the 2005 remix version of outspoken that was done for the discography and then broken out on, on Spotify. So it appears as just you're listening to the album, but it is that remixed version. And the way you can tell which version you're listening to is the song is Beauty of Crime. If you hear John Quayle go, come on, that's the remix. That is not in the original version. Um, the original version, the drums and the vocals are way louder than the bass and the guitar, and it sounds really bad. So if we were no, judging- No, 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 no. The bass is way too loud in the original. Okay, some, it's off. and The bass is like so loud, you're like, dude, stop it. Come on. Yeah, so if it if this record had not been remixed- Undertow would, I think, pretty easily take it for me. Um, so, Paul Miner is a miracle worker. He's the guy who remixed it. Um, and that's my answer. Out, I'm going outspoken. A surprise uh, outcome for me. Yeah, the Unbroken has legit fast parts. And they, so I agree with Ben. Like, they lean faster and they lean slower. Where outspoken, it's that sweet spot, dude. It's the closest you ever get to verbal assault trial again. They're leaning right into that trial beat, and you know Ben saying samey and fuck it, dude. Give me ten songs like that all the way through. You know, um, I'll lean in after Dan. Dan, go ahead. Yeah, the, the, this is close. It, it's absolutely close. These are both. Absolutely fantastic records. The mood that is generated from the start of Outspoken, A Light in the Dark, is so good. And John Coyle is the ad-lib master, <laughs> like the, yeah, come on, or the, 
wrap it up, you know? <laughs> like, all of those little ad-libs are so great. It gives it so much character. Um, I really do love the lyrical output of Outspoken. Um, I do love that they're bringing causes that they are really passionate about to the forefront. Um, this is this is the start of hardcore really um, kind of latching onto that a bit, um, giving giving the things that you you know you're completely that mean the world to you, giving it a platform and laying it out there instead of it being you know a bit more aggressive. It's like showing showing what we care about, especially the animal rights stuff throughout the uh the um career of outspoken on the on the EPs and this LP. What I love about it musically is yes it is mid tempo uh chugger ish um and really um of its time but it's so good <laughs> and it has me coming back year after year to check back in with this record always you know since i first heard it since the 90s i am still coming back and listening to this over and over and over again every year you know and i really love it and outspoken is fantastic but undertow is just the um band that emotionally aggression and the simplicity of some of the lyrics while saying so much but in such a simple fashion um try to break my spirit but you cannot you know those kind of things or you know on taken like the line that chris said like you don't know me like it this record hit me at that part of my life where those simple things of feeling othered by the situations i was in at the time this made me have that adamantium backbone that we talk about this record made me feel strong for feeling cast aside by certain things in my life. Um, I can't divorce my personal emotional attachment with this record to make it an equal like thing. It's just like Chris said, like that's his dog, <laughs> you know, it, cause he's raised on this. Um, for me, this was so important in hard times of my life that I leaned on some of these songs um, and they mean the world to me still to this day. So I'm going undertow at both ends. Both of these LPs have some generic lyrics on them, but it's that in a good way. I wish there was like another word to use for them. Because, like, when there's that sincerity, like, behind the generic words, like, it, it's, like, hardcore perfection, right? We're painting paintings with, like, a limited palette, you know? And when someone does it right, it's, like, the greatest music in the world. <clears throat> and both these bands do that 
really well. Let me let me touch a little bit on to um, the remix and master that Ben did. Um, Paul Miner is a goddamn American hero because he made this sound so much better. But there's two things that I think suffer in the original version sounds better for. Um, first off, just the opening track when the guitar is going by itself before it all kicks in. There's this way more of a dynamic on the original version when it kicks in and like gets heavy, you know, with the whole band. That's lost a little bit on the remaster when like that guitar by itself is a little louder. Um, the other thing is Dan talked on the ad libs. I hate the come on <laughs> so much. It pulls me out of it because like forever I'd listen to and just like that yeah by itself was like the illest thing ever. Yeah. This dude has so much confidence when he sings. We talk about like personalities that jump off the record, like a rabies, you know, um, in later days, like talking like a, a justice from trapped under ice, whatever. Right. This is one of them. This dude's confidence is next level, but it's not an arrogance, right? It's like, it's so perfect that this album is like top 10 hardcore for me. Like top 20 for sure, maybe top 10. I mean, just think about how the record starts like that. And then kicks in and then the singing. Ah, sing song changed so fast. It was in a flash. Will the sincerity last? Oh my God, dude. It's just, it's generic hardcore lyrics about people dropping out of the scene, right? Or Dan and Ben and Chris. Like to you, this is probably like straight edge lyrics, right? To me, it's just like the way I felt about hardcore forever. So like maybe I'm applying something that is like about straight edge to hardcore so I can relate to it. But like mm-hmm. this stuff, it just resonates. I still feel this way from the first way, like the first time I heard this record and I was like, oh my God, he's saying everything I feel just about like high school friends, like dropping out of something and like looking down on it for something I still believe when I'm only into something for like two years of the point at that point. Right. And now 25 years later, like it just, it, it's so like embedded in me and this thing bangs like the whole way through, you know, like every song has a hook vocally is beauty, a crime judged by mankind. Oh my God. The daydreaming song, the third one is like the full on bounce. And then you have that wild, like clean channel guitar over the top of it. Like what the fuck? How did they think of that? The shout out to the the whales are before. Yeah. Shout out to the whales before that's ill, but that clean channel guitar on the chorus. Oh my God. And then like, just the way he like draws out like some lines. So, so like the fourth song, right? Like what will become, become of the human race. Do you see this world burning? It's like the way I love hip hop. Like you, you can change a word. You can make something fit where it wouldn't normally fit. Like he's just got that brush and he's painting it so perfect. Like, <laughs> yeah, dog. This shit bangs <laughs> the whole way through. <laughs> I love it. I don't know. The, I can't compare anything with it. Like almost anything gets bodied by this record for me. So let me talk about undertow and some of the things I love about it. Lyrically fucking perfect. Also, Fast record in 94 in a pretty straightforward hardcore lane. So underrated in that aspect, you know, um, 
I think mouthpiece gets like so much credit for like kind of being like, Oh, they're the only fast hardcore band like that early nineties band. And it's like, here's another one, dude. Like they're playing. They're not like just slow. Although when they lean into their slow or their mid tempo, like no one does the bouncy chugs like undertow. They're the best of that. And I wish that there would be like some bands that would take that away. So like, it's like that second verse in the first song and they like sprinkle it throughout the record. Imagine like firestorm, but going like a double time, you know? And like the, the lyrics are just bouncing over the top of it. it. It could be something that modern hardcore could really do well. And I think here's a blueprint. So I love this LP. I don't agree with Ben where I feel like skipping around on these. I think that both these are like great, perfect nineties, hardcore records. Like, I don't know. They do sound a little dark, you know, but that's the vibe, dude. I love them both. Um, but I'm going outspoken. So, uh, I think we're tied. tied. Yeah, well, I, I think, uh, you made some amazing points there. Um, Instead of saying generic, simplistic, I think is a thing. The only thing that would make like words like this go into that generic path is how much they're copied afterwards. Of yeah, even simplistic simple. doesn't sum it up. Like I need a word that is like you said everything that I want to say in like a like okay. So when people use the phrase economy of words, I love that phrase, right? Because it's like. Yeah. You summed up everything I wanted to say, but in such a nice, succinct way. I wish there was a way to like apply economy of words to lyrics. There's also, I think with undertow in particular, a vagueness too, where it's kind of like you listen to it and you may not be going through what John went through when he wrote that song, but you are like, yes, you're writing exactly about what I'm going through right now. Like, you can yeah. kind of apply it to your, whether or not it's something totally unrelated to what he wrote it about. Like you can apply it to you, you know? Yeah. And yeah, the, the passion that's the passion that's dripping from his voice too. It's just like adds another layer to it. Yeah. And then you, you, you really uh, touched on a light in the dark, like lyrically really well, Zach, because I've always viewed that song as being like, the straight edge version of filth's the list, you know? Yeah. There's tons of people leaving, but you know what? There's bright sparks coming and this will keep on burning. You know that it's so good. That song is so good. Like, see, I don't, yeah, I, I agree. And, and I don't even, to me, this song's not a straight edge song. This is a hardcore song. So it's to interesting, me- you know, Zach, how you, you know, yeah, I, I just think it is probably because of all the t-shirts, you know, yeah, sure. like they lean so into the strange thing and like their shirt game, but like in it's the lyrics, the I'm not like turned off by it. You know, it's the best straight edge shirt ever though. Like straight edge so, isn't cool anymore. So what? So what? Yeah. Outspoken. I love it. Oh God. I, I love do it. Too. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> And I first saw it in the photo in a photograph, probably on a Strife record. And you could, I could only see the front of the shirt, and this, so it just said "Straight Edge, Straight Edge isn't cool anymore." I'm like, "Who does this guy think he is?" And then I found out later, oh, yeah, it's just on the back. Ben um, was triggered. That's that's <laughs> like when, it's like when Ben it's like when Ben saw the Primus Suck sticker on the guys. Actually, that's probably <laughs> what I thought it was. I was like, "Oh, they're being like cheeky, sarc- 
sarcastic, you know, ironic, like we're a straight edge <laughs> band and we're making fun of straight edge, but they're not because the back says so what? When, <laughs> when Ben saw Calvin peeing on something that he cared about. <laughs> yeah. He was peeing on the Ford. I'm from a Ford family. Uh, we're a Ford family. God damn it. Uh, the word I think you want, you were looking for Zach is brevity. Brevity means concise and exact use of words in writing or speech. So there's a brevity Boom. to, to um, Undertow's lyrics. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Brevity, bitches. What's up? Um, <laughs> I love one it. thing I'll say is that we – it's always great when it's a tie between when we put these things up and it, it sits two to two. I, I think it just shows the quality of both the choices. Yeah, when I brought this up in the group text and someone was like, "Ooh, I suppose you can get bodied." I was like, "Well, I'll be the I'll be like the knight in uh the, <laughs> the Monty Python movie. Ah, just a flesh wound. Oh, took me out." <laughs> yeah, that you was know, me. I'll be, I'll be defending it. That was me and I yes. put it outspoken. Um Yeah. But man, it should be said undertow pin talk about a great fast song from that era and it starts with that bass drum. I can feel it. Man, what a great voice uh, John Pettibone has. It's just like, how can I put it into words? It's like, he's, it's like this emotional yell, but he's not going too emo and he's not going tough. He's just right there in that sweet spot. And I I don't, sorry, Ben. Sorry. I I remember seeing them play. They have the Cedar is an anti-religion song on this album and, they did those reunions with, with unbroken in 2009 and John Pettibone came out in the audience during Cedar and, and like everyone was like, it was like they were dogpiling him, but he was still standing up like right in the middle of the floor at um, the uh, glass house, which is like an 800 cap venue. So it was a big, big show. And he's just like, at the end, at the end of the song, he's like, no God, no God, no God, no God. And I'm like, fuck, this band's good. Yeah, it was incredible. That moment and seeing like EO and Mandel and stuff just piled on him. Like, so sick. We don't put them against each other because they suck. Like, this is, is brutal, dude. Pettibone versus Coil. God. And both of these. Go ahead. I want to say too, like Pettibone's still doing it, you know, he's still straight edge, still hardcore, still loves it, still in a band like his band, Eris that he sings in, um, they put out a record like two months ago. So like, he's still doing it. I, I remember I saw them probably right before the pandemic. And I remember thinking like, how many bands has this guy sang in? How many songs has he written lyrics for? And I've like, I've sang in, I've probably written like 20 songs in bands that I sang in. And I feel like I'm out of content. Like, you know, like <laughs> he's probably written like, ah, he's been in Himsa, He's been in the vows undertow. Uh, what else? I'm probably for nine iron spitfire. Like him's alone put out like, yeah. Him's alone put out like three LPs. Like, Dude's probably written lyrics for like twenty or like two hundred songs, maybe more. He funny funny side note once he told me once that uh when when Himsa had a new had a new song that he hadn't didn't have lyrics for he would just sing Chain of Strength lyrics like 
they would play it live and he would just sing Chin of Strength lyrics, but you couldn't understand because he was like doing his Cookie Monster hymns to grow. I love it. Everyone, check out the playlist, 185milesouth.com. Click that playlist link at the top of the page. Listen to the music we're talking about because you know that's what it's all about. And we'll talk to you again. Uh, not yet because I got to say, Dan, where can the people find you? Uh, on Instagram, at Southpaw Instagrammer. Badge, where can the people find you? On Instagram, at Cold Chillin Book. Chris, where can the people find you? Uh, Instagram and Twitter at ChrisWilliams51. And uh, I do change NWHC. And recently retired, not retired, I passed off the Seattle HC Twitter account to... Um, an awesome young core woman in the Northwest named Hannah. Uh, so she's running it. She's from Tacoma. So we changed the handle to at PNW hardcore and uh, I'm not running it anymore, but check it out because uh, the Northwest is sick and I got so much love for it. Hell yeah. Get at me 185 miles South on Instagram, 185 miles South at gmail.com. Zach retaliate Instagram. And you know, Retaliate is the best on Instagram. We'll talk to you all on Monday.